Mayfield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Here we go, our 4 o'clock hour across Nevada. Nevada Sports Talk Hour, Cofield and Company. Adam Hill is here. It's Steve Cofield. Ari is steering the ship. We always do a big four at four. It's that time. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the big four at four. Number four. I want to continue our analytics discussion because we really didn't get into it too much yesterday, and it's been a big deal with the McDaniels' decision to go for two, which we said repeatedly down 30-29 with the percentage basically even two or an extra point with four minutes left. It's really not an analytics decision. But there is an interesting discussion to be had when you're um, at your own 40 all the way to the opposing 30 and all those percentages and what you do on fourth and short. And Brandon Staley is the guy who got a lot of ire last year. So did John Harbaugh. And Harbaugh's gotten more of it this year, but Staley, the Chargers coach, Repeatedly went for it on fourth down, and early in the season it often worked, and people forget it, and that's how they got into a position to make the playoffs. And then in some of the biggest spots, it didn't work. And I said last year, and I'll say it repeatedly, that you go by the percentages, and then you actually have to execute, and you have to pick the right play. And the Chargers have a lot of problems picking the right play. And they had a situation against the Browns, chance to close out the game, where they're at their own 46-yard line, third and short, fourth and short. And I thought the two plays they ran – were crap. And then their defense came up big, sort of. Brissett uh, was off the mark. Then the field goal kicker for the Browns sucked and missed the field goal. So results-based thinkers are like, worked! Good decision! <laughs> worked! They won! That's absurd. That's absurd. But you were, I know you're really big into this stuff, and you were saying, Staley, this is deep thought that goes back to the offseason and there's something massive that needs to be factored into the Chargers' decisions right now in third and especially fourth down situations. Yeah, because I, I, and I also want to make clear, like the decision to go for it or not go for it is independent from the play call. You can you can say the play call was dumb. Right. Going for it was the right decision. The play call might have been wrong. Right. But 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 to my point, uh, what you were what you were leading to and and. When Keenan Allen is not in the game, Keenan Allen is a guy who more than almost anyone in the game gets open right at the line of scrimmage. Is open right away. And that has played into part of why the the Chargers have been successful on a lot of fourth and shorts and third and shorts because they get him the ball and he's open right away and he's that kind of guy. Now, they don't have him right now. Mike Williams is not that kind of guy. He's a more of a deep threat, intermediate route guy. So that is factored in. And by the way, it is factored in with Brandon Staley's decisions. He doesn't talk about he doesn't go in depth during the season. You have to listen to him during the offseason. And during the offseason, he went very in depth about his models. It's different models for every game. And when, you know, when we have these discussions and people are like, you don't understand if your right tackles is getting beat up by that the, the left defensive. That's end. not factored in. Of course it is. Yes. Of course it is. Yes. Those things are all factored into his model. The models are different now. A lot of the ones, a lot of generic ones you see that are kind of updated uh, on Twitter and they're posted right away. A lot of those don't don't take those hardcore uh, matchups into into account. But Brandon Staley's model does, and and any coach worth anything in the NFL is doing the same thing. You make that you make all those factors into your chart into your model, and then the model is run in real time on the field. I know the Ravens in particular have a data guy who designs theirs. And is literally standing next to Harbaugh the entire game and telling him the percentage difference in going for it or not going for it and how it's better. Now, the the way that I often talk about this, and I, I know you know our friends up in Reno understand this too, is playing optimum blackjack strategy, 
right? You you understand and you play it. And a lot of people say they don't believe in analytics, but they play optimal blackjack strategy. That's analytics. It's do you hit or stand here? And you know based on based on thousands and thousands and thousands of hands what the proper thing to do, what gives you the best chance to win. Doesn't always mean you're going to win. So if you if you you know if you stay on a 19 and the dealer has 20, you don't come back and say, "Well, that didn't work. It was the right thing." Sure, it didn't work in this in this case, but it's the right thing. If you hit on a 16 against a 10 as you're supposed to, but it's a it's closer to a coin flip call, and you get a 10, yeah, you say in this case it didn't work. But if you play the right way over thousands and thousands of hands or thousands right. and thousands of games, it's going to prove to be right in the long run. So when I when I play blackjack and I get destroyed on some twos and I'm like I'm out. Yeah, that's an emotional decision. Sure. That's not a smart decision. And that's what a lot of coach. That's that's what a lot of people are arguing when they say, "Don't use analytics. Trust your gut. You're a coach." That that's what we're talking about here. Right. That you 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 fail on a couple of uh, you you double down on eleven against a six a couple of times and you lose. Sucks. I'm never doing that again. Nope. Well, then you're gonna lose. <laughs> In the long run, you're gonna lose. And occasionally, uh, guess what? You're gonna stay at eleven, and the dealer's gonna bust. And you're like, "See, I got that one right." Well, you're just a moron. That, and you, every, every once in a while, you're going to get it right. But you can't base it just on, hey, this didn't work twice. I'm never doing that again. That, that's not how it works. Number three. I shudder in fear to put it this way, but clutch. Oh, God. Victory by the Golden Knights. Adam is ant- very anti the term clutch, probably as much as I am anti the word segment. <laughs> By the way, I had the Kings last night, minus 115. <laughs> nice. That didn't work out. No. So, Phil Kessel's a new member of this team. Fat Phil. Those hot dogs. Who doesn't, right? Yeah, sure. We do on this show, sure. except for one guy. How did he look? And what does he add to this team? Well, he's I mean, he's a scorer. He's a guy that scored a ton of goals. And last year he didn't. But uh, you're, I'll just turn it right back. Analytics. Analytics will tell you last year Phil Kessel was really good. And he didn't score goals. Sometimes, like he, his shooting percentage was by far the lowest of of his career, hmm. and the the numbers, the the goals generated while he was on the ice actually were okay. The scoring chances were okay. The puck just wasn't going to the net. Sometimes that happens, and I think the Golden Knights looked at it, and looked at it, and said, "Hey, other teams might think he's done because his goals were down, but everything else says that he's probably going to be pretty productive still. Let's bring him in and put him in the right spots." And and I talked to him about this. He he said. I'm not much of an analytics guy, but I understand what pe- people are saying. Like, I should have probably had more goals last year. Right. This didn't work out. And uh, he, he's he's in for that. But I think that they looked at him and said, all right, this guy can be better than his numbers indicated last year. With different coaches come different staffs. I don't know how much the staff has changed, you know, up and around Cassidy, right? With McCrimmon still there as a steady force. Where are the Knights now when it comes to analytics? Because... You know, we got the impression that Gerard Gallant eventually went bye-bye in part of uh, because of analytics, and he didn't embrace it. Sure. Uh, I think DeBoer did. Yeah. What about Cassidy? Uh, it seems like he does. Yeah. Uh, at least at least to an extent if he definitely takes it under advisement. It's a little bit different in, um, in the hockey world because you're not having those necessarily fourth down decisions. Uh, but there are things like when you pull your goalie, uh, you know, certain lines, how they're constructed. And and putting them together is that's more of a pregame planning type analytics discussion, uh, but there are there are things to be had about you know when you use your first power play when you what lines you put up against what lines like all those things are, are factored in, but a lot of it is 
times to pull the goalie. What's the most optimal time if you're down one, if you're down two, uh, different situations like that. Uh, but I, I think he definitely is one that takes it under advisement. I don't know if he's, you know, a, you know, devotee necessarily to the analytics world, but I, I think anybody that's going to be the coach now in this administration is going to at least have some of that, you know, be welcome to the numbers at least. Number two. Devontae Adams charged with a misdemeanor for pushing someone down. Draymond Green knocking someone out on video. The Warriors have decided to bring him back, and he'll get a fine. Listen, the Warriors know the dynamic more than we do. They're around this thing. They've seen it developing. You know, the the knockout punch on Jordan Poole by Dr. Dre, master of kinesiology, Right? Yeah, he knows how the body works. He knows how to land a perfect KO punch. Does this seem weak to you? And I know you're a hardcore, long-time Warriors fan. Yeah. There's, I use the word dynamics. There's a lot of dynamics going on behind the scenes. If everyone on the roster and in the organization is cool with, hey, here's just a fine. Now, if I knew the fine was $27 million and he's making <laughs> $28 next year, okay, wow, that's harsh. But it ain't. We know it's not. Why are you trying to bring us down? You're bringing you down. Just to bring down the dynasty. You got one guy walking over and knocking another guy out. Well, I think it's on you. Look, I, I fully believe, and and Steve Kerr, I thought was very, I, I thought he was pretty insightful and pretty introspective in talking about this yesterday. Of look, we're not saying this is fixed. We're not just putting him out saying everything's good. Moving <laughs> forward, he said this this is definitely an issue. This is one of the biggest challenges I've ever dealt with as a coach. There's. There's a lot to still fix and a lot to work out and a lot of relations to be healed. And this is a process going to be ongoing. But I think he also understands that the alternative is getting rid of Draymond Green and probably not winning a title. Yeah, I don't believe that second part. I think they could win without him. We need him. I I do think the discussion, this is a very interesting discussion because this could, this could go to all facets of life. It can go to anyone's workplace if there's a physical altercation or something that's really over the top and nasty. In a way, this is going to sound crazy. The fact that they got into it and it like it really boiled over, could it help the organization that, hey, now the obvious scab is just shredded off the body? Let's fix this. Like, could it have taken a knockout punch to not have this fester any longer? And it's got to be fixed. Let's do it. Possibly. I mean, it's something I know it's a very different. Um, it's a different scenario because two guys that signed up to do it and get paid to do it, not one guy knocking somebody out. But how often do you see, you know, guys that hate each other that fight boxing, MMA, that eventually are like, all right, we figured we figured it out. Like, that's it. It's over. Now, this is, again, very different because it's one guy punching another guy that wasn't ready for it or expecting it. But at least it's, hey, let's lay it all on the table. There's an issue between these two guys. They've been going at it for weeks or months or however long it was. And... We had to deal with it, and we hoped that we'd just be able to ignore it, and it would go away, and we'd be cool, and the season would start, and everybody would be happy. That's not the case. They've got things, some things to figure out, and better now than in the playoffs. We've got a full season. you got 82 games to start to figure it out, and I, I think I don't know that Dr. Dre is, is, an, is one that's going to be shamed enough by this. I don't think it's in his personality, but at least he at least he has to have that out there. Everybody knows what he did. And, you know, he can't he can't play this, you know, I'm aggrieved role that he often likes to do. He did it. And everybody knows he did it. 
And look, there's part of Jordan Poole now that's to live with. There's an element of people that are going to be like, oh, you, you know, whatever for getting knocked out and for just, you know, continuing to play with the guy. He's going to have to deal with that too. But I think Draymond Green has to deal with at some point the fact that everybody knows he did this and everybody knows how he acted. And he'll probably have to take a discount in contract negotiations too, which will be another, another, you know, another knocking him down a peg. Number one. Big story of the day around the NFL. Devontae Adams charged in Kansas City. Misdemeanor assault for pushing down a guy working on the sidelines. In the police report, it said intentional and overt act. I think that's worth debating. Uh, We also mentioned earlier, this kind of seems like a pub stunt here. Do the police really need to waste their time in Kansas City with something like this? But I don't know. Why is Devontae Adams' address listed, not redacted? On the police report, wouldn't that kind of back up? This is a pub stunt. Are they trying to stick it to Devontae Adams, his address, now out publicly? I don't know. I think it was I think it was more of an oversight, and they released it to somebody and didn't realize it. And it's also not his address. Uh, that that should be clear. I mean, I think it's, you know, the, the address that he lived at in California. Uh, he lives in Nevada, obviously, <laughs> in Las Vegas. Uh, but, look, there's something to it. I, I think that there was pressure on the Kansas City Police Department to act because people were outraged there. Uh, they saw a guy get knocked down, and they saw from an arch rival they wanted something to happen. They felt the pressure, and I think they did it. And I I also think that they feel this is probably not going to actually be a thing. It's going to be the means to an end of some sort of settlement between those two. Uh, but it's – look, you can't you can't do what he did. You can't act the way he did afterwards and just walk by the guy and not help him up. It's it's a It sucks, but you also have to deal with your consequences. You have to have consequences for your actions. Up next, we'll bring in our – Legal insider, Battleborn injury lawyers, Justin Watkins, to talk about Devontae Adams and much more. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider, Justin Watkins. Only on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, a lot to talk about. Legal issues around the world of sports. Justin Watkins uh, actually leaving town right now. So I caught up with him this morning. We started off the conversation. What did you think of the Devontae Adams video that you saw? I think it was actually you or, or Adam who posted on Twitter kind of the behind view of Devontae Adams. Um, and it what's clear to me is he kind of has his head down as he's walking off the field. And then... From his perspective, it looks like something I'm, I'm sort of speculating a little bit that like somebody's coming up at him, that, that cameraman comes right into contact with him and he comes up and pushes the, the cameraman, um, as that collision occurs. Uh, so I mean, I understand he's filed, the cameraman's filed a police report, which I don't, I don't know about that. I don't think there's anything criminal there. Uh, really, I think he's got a civil claim. It's probably a civil claim that most attorneys would take, but is it a slam dunk? Not necessarily. Um, because I think that I could make a pretty good argument that the cameraman initiates physical contact and that, uh, Devonte Adams, not knowing whether this is a crazed fan or a worker or not, but being contacted by somebody he doesn't know as his head's down, you know, sort of reacted reasonably in trying to create space um, between him and the person. 
When you have a collision, whether it's cars or just human beings walking, do you have an obligation to stop and pick someone up, see if they need help? No, he didn't. Well, you know what? We always talk about Good Samaritan rules and that there are no laws requiring you to be a Good Samaritan. Now, there is an exception to that. If you've caused peril to somebody, then you do have an affirmative obligation to save them. For instance, I throw you in the pool and then I realize you can't swim and you're sinking to the bottom. I do have a legal obligation to get in there and try and save you. Now, in this instance, he pushed him to the ground. There was no further peril. If on the ground there were, you know, snakes or something, then 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 yes, he, he the cameraman could be hurt more, and therefore there would be an affirmative duty to like pick him up and, and try to uh, retrieve him from further peril. Uh, but in this instance, nothing exists like that that would tell me he had a duty, legal or otherwise, to pick him up. So a lot of people calling for a suspension by the NFL. Does that seem out of bounds? I think so. I mean, I'd want to hear what he has to say about it. And and you know I'm, I'm not a Raiders fan, so it's, this is not Las Vegas bias here. Uh, I, I just when, – when you get that, that, that bottom – or that behind view and he's looking down and he gets contacted by somebody, you know, I think it's really hard – to say that um, you know he was acting with some sort of malice at best he made a mistake and and like you know in creating that space push too hard and I, again I think you could make the argument that the cameraman was the one who did wrong that he jumped out and initiated contact with the player as the player is trying to leave the field and I would suspect that the NFL would be telling you know, media uh, and, and everybody who's got a field pass, like, hey, you don't you, you don't come into contact with players and that there would be some sensitivity to the heightened emotions after a game. You know, I I don't know. You're, you're in the industry, in the media industry. I don't know how realistic that is. But the contact by the cameraman in this instance was 100 percent avoidable by the cameraman. Yeah, I think these collisions can happen all the time. It's just people are going so fast. You know, everyone's kind of frenzied on the field trying to get to where they're getting to, and the players have what they're doing. And we spent, and we're talking to Justin Watkins, who at times is our moral compass on Cofield and company. We spent like 10 minutes on the show, maybe not 10 minutes, but on the Tuesday show, spent a good couple of minutes just on basic, you know, decent human behavior. And that I was a little shocked by the fact that Devontae Adams and another Raiders employee just chose to walk by the guy after he'd been knocked to the ground. I, I don't know. I was a little outraged by that. You know what's funny in in that video? You could sort of see like Devontae Adams almost have this like realization that like, oh, dude, that's a cameraman. And he, and he almost he has this slight little pause like he doesn't know what to do and then makes the call to to walk off. But yeah, I agree with you. Had he had he picked him up, I don't think any of this would be a com- topic of conversation, you know, two days, three days later. Right. It, it just it, I think it would have taken all the air out of the sales. Uh, uh, of any sort of media circus and when he makes that apology afterwards it just seems to land so much better well i'm I'm curious because i watch tiktok i get laughed at for mentioning that i watch a lot of tiktok and you know with the algorithm there's a you know you start getting fed the same thing you're watching so a lot of times i wind up seeing a lot of fights in public with you know two 
uh, civilians going at it, arguments. Then you start getting legal claims thrown in. You got to turn off the camera. You don't have the right to do this. But one of the other things that you see up there all the time is people in encounters with law enforcement officers. But more often lately, I've seen encounters where the officer is being questioned and then chided for not knowing the law. And I don't know the law well enough to know who's right and who's wrong. So I wanted to play this one for you. I assume this is, there's not a lot of background details on the description, but I assume this is at the, uh, what do you call it? The security checkpoint going in to California. Agricultural stop. Yes. Yeah, the agricultural checkpoint. The Uh the stop. So let's play this and let's uh, see what you think of the legality of what both sides are saying. So, what part of the vehicle are you planning to inspect? Well, we need to inspect the back of the vehicle and any ice the back you mean like, have on board. Oh, you mean inside? That's so, that's a search. It's not a search? That's exactly what a search is. Don't you understand the Bill of Rights? I'm not going to engage in this with you. In other words, you well, don't understand the Fourth Amendment. Well, if you'd like to travel into California without the vehicle being inspected, that's I will exactly what I'm going to do. Authorities and have them bring you back, and we will conduct the inspection. No, you're not. Ins- you're not doing any. You're not doing any search I'm whatsoever. Not, I never said the word search. I'm not. I don't care what you vehicle. call it. If you open up this well, vehicle to inspect something other than the Fourth Amendment. No, I'm not. You might want to call it something different, but if you try to get inside this vehicle, that's a search. That's a warrantless search. You do not have to say yes, but the conveyance will not pass this point. Yes, it will. You want to watch? Because it will. The inspection officer is saying that in order to go into California, that they need to go through an agricultural inspection. And what you're saying is either they were told or she can see that there is a cooler or an ice chest in the back of the vehicle. And she wants to inspect that to determine whether or not there's any, you know, their, their common question, fruits or vegetables from outside the state coming into the state. And what he's saying is you're, you're calling it an inspection, but it's a search. He's right. It is a search. That part is correct. Now the question is, and, and it is a warrantless search. The question is, is whether or not there is probable cause to do the search because she can either see or has been told there's an ice chest in the vehicle. Is it probable cause that there is fruit or vegetables by the mere presence of an ice chest? I think the answer is no. When you continue on that TikTok, he says, am I free to go? And she says, no. Again, she's wrong. She, that is a detention. She's detaining him because he's refusing the search that she's claiming she gets to do as a result of probable cause. The problem is she does not know that vocabulary. She does not know what she's saying. She's saying, no, it's an inspection. That's, that's incorrect. Um, so I think I, I would love to know how this turned out, but my guess is somebody else got involved and let them go because if they would have called this in, and they had police officers, you know, pull him over and stop him for this. I think, you know, which is clearly kind of, I think, what he wanted to happen. And, and if they do this to the wrong person, they're going to get the legal challenge that that person wants to do. And I think that they lose that, right? The, the part of the Constitution that allows us states to unite together allows for freedom of travel in and amongst the states. Meaning California can't exclude Nevadans just because they're com- 
coming from Nevada. They're not allowed to do that. Now they can have reasonable um, inspections. They can have reasonable grounds for entry if it if it is associated with a state interest. Here, California does not want out-of-state fruit and vegetables to be brought in the state because it can potentially affect the crops if there is some sort of virus being brought over. Um, <laughs> I would love to hear them defend that position in court today because I remember all, you know, traveling all through the, the 80s, they stopped every car, asked them fruit or vegetables. I haven't been stopped and asked if there's any fruit or vegetables in my car in decades. So the fact that this one was stopped is is a little bit of a joke to me. Um, and I don't think that they would be able to defend their even agricultural inspection policies in in any viable court right now because it, because it's completely and utterly just randomly turned on or off and could be fraught with abuse. They could they could use that agricultural inspection as a pretext to search or otherwise detain a vehicle. And I bet you there's evidence of that. I bet you there's evidence of that. There you go. Justin Watkins, Battleborn Injury Lawyer, 766-1400 is the number. So we talked this morning because he was going out of town. We talked about Devontae Adams probably a half an hour before the misdemeanor charges came down. Following up with him, he said, uh, bet you that Devontae Adams challenges it and gets it resolved for basically nothing. But he says, like Xavier Pope did as well, civil lawsuit will cost something, though. So this isn't over. Devontae Adams still has some hoops to jump through. We'll come back. A little more from Justin Watkins. 766-1400 is his number. Back here at Cofield and Company. You know, we're all feeling the uh, pounding of price gouging gas prices. Also, we found a story with a local arena charging really high prices. Justin Watkins back with us. This part of the conversation, I asked him, uh, what is happening with gas prices? The public has no gouging protection? I, I don't think there's any sort of price gouging that's that can be asserted on the on, on a legal front against gas prices or gas stations. I mean, what what's happening in Nevada is we're dependent on, you know, the gas that gets to Nevada coming from California. We got refinery issues going on in California that is, you know, closing up our, our supply chain. Um, you know, politically, how does that happen? I don't know. You know, like, you know, I was in politics, but I, I try to stay out of that stuff, especially on the national level. It, it just is not <laughs> conducive to a happy life to be mired in <laughs> national politics. But, um, but I'll say this, uh, if you look over the course of, let's take the 1970s, right, after the gas crisis, or gas crisis and start from 1980 on until today, and you take a, a chart of inflation, and then you take a chart of gas prices, we are well, 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 well below inflation in our gas prices. Yes. And that's across <laughs> all political parties, across all presidents, Republican and Democrat, Right, uh, all Congresses, it has always been a priority of this country to keep gas prices as low as possible, and in a large, by a large part, we've been very successful at doing so. Um, we still uh, price per gallon here, as compared to most other parts of the world that aren't, you know, directly on <laughs> oil wells and oil rigs. Um, we do, we do very well. Okay. 
let me get to something that I it's probably less serious, but I think it it, it uh, describes a bigger picture. So the, I, I think there's some price gouging going on at our local arenas and stadiums. So I saw a concession board at a local arena where popcorn jumped in a year from five to fifteen dollars. Now, people listening right now are like, hey, don't get the popcorn. Others are going to be like, wow, that's outrageous. What happens in the case where an arena or a stadium is publicly funded? Maybe not fully, but I'll bring up the arena. It's Dollar Loan Center in Henderson. Henderson threw money at the project. Their concession prices from year to year have gone through the roof. Like, as a public, do we have any right to go, hey, these concession prices are crazy. We threw public money into your arena. Like, is there any price control on concession prices? Yeah, there's no price control and, and and price gouging. It is a thing that does have some civil remedies, um, but it, it, it's very rare. And usually you're going to see that from state action from an attorney general's office, um, usually not the city attorney. Although, uh, could the city attorney for city of Henderson make a claim uh, against Dollar Loan Center and the team saying that, that this would – was sort of a violation of the intent of the public-private partnership. Possibly, I don't know what their memorandum of understanding, you know, kind of was, uh, what they presented to the public in order to get that. I'll just say, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a Henderson Silver Knights ticket holder. I don't, I don't really go to the games, but I, we do hold, as a firm, two tickets. I, like, I think, the, I think that's a, I think that's a joke. I think it's a mistake. I think it's a joke. Um, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that really makes people willing to go to minor league hockey in a town that's got NHL is cheap prices for food, easy access in and out and a family friendly atmosphere. Um, $15 popcorn is an absolute joke. We've got, uh, we've got prices up on the board. Uh, most of the, the sandwiches are 13 plus. There's a burger for 18. Again, it's minor league sports. And I don't know. I think we buy into this thing, like you just said, thinking it's it's one thing. And um, the limits are being pushed everywhere now for food prices. And I, I just wonder uh, if it does turn off a, a small percentage of people from going out there. Justin, appreciate it. Have a uh, good week off. You're going to be uh, where and doing what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, nobody's going to be able to find me. I can say where. Yeah, we'll be in, we'll be in uh, Western Colorado, uh, my uh, family elk hunt. So I'll, I will be off the grid completely. No, no access to anything for about eight days. Three infielders on the left side against Myers, who skies this one to deep left field. Trace Thompson's going back. He's at the wall. He leaps, and it's going to go. A home run for Will Myers. Padres are on the board here in the fifth. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. Need more of that, right? Needed it all year. Will Myers with the Jack. Let's talk a little Padres-Dodgers. I also want to talk about locker room and team and practice dynamics. Heath Bell is in the house with us, former reliever, closer for the Mets, the Padres, the Marlins, the Diamondbacks. Heath, it's Steve and Adam here in Vegas. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Uh, we're real good. We're real good. Reminder to people, ring the bell. Ring the bell is the uh, <laughs> the Believe in Padres podcast. So before we get to baseball, I got to get your take on 
the incident with the Warriors and Draymond Green and Jordan Poole and Jordan Poole getting punched in the face by Draymond Green. And I've heard a lot of athletes say, hey, that's no one's business. You know, fights happen. You're a gigantic guy. You're an intimidating guy. And I remember, you know, you go back to relievers, right? Remember Lou Pinella trying to go at one of the nasty boys all pissed off at Rob Dibble? And you're like, oh, my God, like, that looked crazy to me. How do you respond to people saying, hey, fights like this do happen? Because that seems crazy to me that a guy's getting knocked out at the Warriors practice. Well, here's here's the one funny part. I actually heard that, and I'm like, there's no fights that go on inside the clubhouse. <laughs> I mean, sometimes when you have a bad uh, bad teammate or something, that um, there might be some pushing and shoving. But there's never really been a fight all my years, and we've had some bad. I've had some bad teammates and some bad blood against some guys, and there never was any like fights. Like, oh, that that happens all the time. It it shouldn't happen all the time. I mean. There's been yelling matches because, you know, like run a ball out or something like that, but it's never been like go to blows and stuff like that. More just get, I'm, I'm mad at you, so I'm going to get it off my chest and tell everybody that you, what you did was wrong. And the you, nine times out of 10, that other person just kind of wears it and goes, Yeah, I screwed up. Right. But then that one time that you get, you know, one out of 10 is like, No. I did, couldn't run because of my toe or, I, you know, or I did run it out. It's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> so, but honestly, that doesn't happen in the clubhouse. I would say there's sometimes when there's bad stuff, there's yelling matches, but not punching. That doesn't happen. So, so I guess you can't really speak from experience on this, but how hard would it be if that did happen in a clubhouse and a guy knocks a guy out? How hard is it to recover and say, hey, we're going to, you know, blend together and try to win a title now? <sighs> You know, it, it just depends, like, what the reason was. Like, I'll give, you an, uh, I'll give you a little story. It's not my story, but <laughs> Billy Wagner was a teammate of mine with the, with the Mets. And he told me once, we were just talking about I was a young guy at the time, and he goes, you know, I actually had it really hard. When I came up with Houston, there was no young guy, so I was the only rookie. And they used to give me crap, and they used to, you know, Hayes me do this and that. So I just, you know, the first year I took it. Well, the next year we still had a veteran team and there was no young guy but me. So he goes, Biggio was literally just on me. So he goes, after the second month of the second year, I just looked at him, dude, get off me. I'm, I, you did it all last year. You're not allowed to do it anymore or whatnot. What he said like that. And he said, Biggio said something to him. And Billy goes, so I popped him in the nose. Wow. And then, and he goes, but then after that, he respected me. <laughs> you know, he goes, you know, he came to me the next week and goes, yeah, I, I probably shouldn't have done that. You know, I was, I just got out of hand or whatnot. And they became best friends. So it's just, I think it was, you know, if you're doing it because I, I personally, I don't think it was, that was the right reason for him to do no. it, but that's what he, he told me. He's like, dude, he, he handled me for a year. So I didn't do anything. And the next year I told him to get off me and he didn't. So then I hit, then I hit him. I don't think and I would. I don't think I would have wanted to take a punch from Wags though, man. That dude, the left hand, if he fully winds up. Is, Bill, Billy's like a country boy, little guy. You don't want to mess with that guy. He's just like a rock hard, you know. And it's just, I think they were just teasing him. He's like, dude, you've already done it for a full year. Now you're doing it for a year and a half. Stop. And they just didn't stop. He goes, I'm going to hit you if you don't stop. And I think the veteran guys were just like, oh yeah, sure. And he was like, boom, yeah, I am. Wow. Billy's Respect always been a very honest guy. Yeah. But and the funny part is I played with Billy for a whole year. I never saw that side of him. And I you know, I know he's tough and rough and whatnot, but he was like the nicest guy ever, <laughs> you know, when he played for us. So it was it was just like, Wow, you did that? I could see you doing that, but it just doesn't 
I wouldn't imagine you do that, but anyway. It's the voice of Heath Bell. Uh, when you're watching playoff games and you see sort of closer by committee, do you get a little bit worried? Or even the extreme case, like yesterday, Seattle's trying to close out uh, Houston, and then you've got Robbie Ray in the game. Like, how hard is that closer role by committee or having a starter come in and try to get a couple outs? Uh, when I see closer by the committee, I literally just – I don't yell at the screen, but inside I'm yelling at the screen because – it's it's the last three outs are really hard. That last out's really hard. I mean, all the pressure's on you. There's nobody behind you, this and that. Like I tell everybody, the difference between being the ninth inning and the eighth inning guy is the eighth inning, if you don't have it, you know the ninth inning guy is going to come out there. If you don't have it in the ninth inning, you better fake it. You better figure it out because nobody's coming out there until you the game's tied or you blow it. So it's all up to you. And there's just a different, there's different demeanor. There's a different way of pitching. And there's a different thought process. And I, I hate seeing closers come, I mean, uh, starters not going, uh, going out there in the playoffs and cybermetrics says this and matchups this. Well, you had a guy that did really good all year. Why can't you use that guy? You know, I mean, there's a reason he's a closer than other, other people. So, yeah, I, I yell at the TV when it happens. I don't like it. <laughs> Seattle, that was the one. They played great until the very end. And then, it was kind of like Tampa a couple of years ago. They lost the World Series because they took Schnell out of the game because, well, the third time through the lineup, you know, batters usually hit really good. You know, what was their comment? Um, uh, Mookie Betts, you know, usually hits 300 or something or 400 third time. And, but it's like well, he struck him out twice. <laughs> you know, it wasn't Mookie's night and it was Schnell's night, and then they brought somebody in and Mookie hit him. Oh. Shocker. You know, <laughs> well, what what was your what was your uh, take on Padres game one? Obviously, this big series going on against the Dodgers. Dodgers kind of threw that uh, that Billy Wagner punch early in the game, and uh, the Padres kind of recovered, but they never fully got their way back in it. Were you encouraged by their performance after that after fall behind five nothing, or is it just a loss is a loss, and you're, now you're down one one nothing? Well, here's the thing with the Padres. I thought I was I was encouraged about how they played the second half of the game when they were down and whatnot. Really, what hurt them was Clemenger. Every time he missed a location in the count, one he got behind early, and when he missed a location, Dodgers hitters just capitalized on it. And he got some pitches up and some inside, and they just turned on it. And Dodgers are really good hitters. You can't. It's like facing Barry Bonds. You just can't miss your spot. If you miss your spot, he's going to hit you. You know, or Mike Trout or whoever. And it's it's one of those things. As I was watching Clemenger, and if you were if you were, if you're a pitcher and you're watching the game last night, you would see the catcher set up outside. The ball would go inside. Dodgers would get a base hit. You know, if you if he hit the outside corner, Dodgers wouldn't get a base hit. If he if he hit a spot, the Dodgers didn't do well. But when he missed a spot, the Dodgers capitalized on that, just like the Padres did with the Mets series. So it's really it's all about hitting location. It's not about how nasty your stuff is. It's not about the movement. It's just about hitting your location. And Clemenger was off on his location. When he was trying to put somebody away or trying to get back in the count because he wasn't getting ahead early. And I you know, it just I think it was frustration or whatnot and it, it it is what it is. I mean the playoffs, if you don't have it, the first you know, your starter doesn't have it, then it needs to be a bullpen day. So I mean, I just thought they in the first inning, you kind of noticed that he didn't have it. They kind of should have pulled him early. So, I think Clemenger's a good pitcher, but last night, in the first inning, I was like, you, I mean, it was a home run, home run. But huh. I just, his his control wasn't there. And it was like, uh-oh, hopefully he can get out of this, and he never did. 
uh, I, I want to go back to the series, obviously, but you you mentioned in there, you know, it's about it's about control and and where you put it and all those things. Not necessarily about stuff, but wh- wh- have you watched the the Guardians play and their closer class? A? That dude is filthy. I don't know how anybody even tries to hit that guy. Well, but he's also hitting his spot. Yes, he has yeah. filthy stuff. So when you have filthy stuff and you throw you throw where you want to throw it, that makes you even better. Yeah. But uh, it, I've seen the Guardians play, and they're they're kind of like Seattle a little bit. Everybody's kind of ridden them off, and they don't think they're much of them. And and but I think they're they're a team that gets on a little streak, or you give them a you give them an inch, they're going to take a mile because they're that good. But nobody thinks they're that good. Huh. Everybody, you know. It's just one of those things where everybody kind of forgets, well, you know, hey, they're a big league team too, and they're really good just like everybody else, but everybody's just writing them off and thinks, okay, it's just going to be the Yankees and Dodgers, and that's about it, nobody else, so or maybe Houston. Yeah. So, so back to the, the Dodgers-Padres series. I mean, this is – it's such a great rivalry in the regular season. I've been to a bunch of games down in both stadiums. Uh, I, I just love watching the play. If this does go, you know, game four, game five – uh, in this series, how I guess nasty, how fun can it be from the outside uh, between these two teams with this rivalry? If this does get very, very competitive, it's going to get really competitive. The Dodgers, if the Padres can win tonight, or even kind of extend the series, because the Padres fans are really confident this year and this and that, and I kind of feel like the Dodgers are. It's I'm going to say this wrong because you know I like Dodger fans, <laughs> but they're, they've never been really rude. So you know, rude fans are rude fans, but they're real arrogant. Right now, like, oh, yeah, we have the best team, this and that. And, and I know they beat us like 14 out of 19, but I've, I've been saying all season long, you know, we're, we're going to lose to the Dodgers during the season. But come playoffs, they're going to take us for granted, and we're going to end up beating them. Mm-hmm. You know, they might get a game or two, but if they take us for granted, we're going to beat them, and that's, that's the key. They're going to go, oh, yeah, we got them. And, and that's why I'm not worried about this series at all because – the Dodgers did their thing, and I guarantee every Dodger fan is like, and a lot of the players are probably thinking, okay, who are we going to play in the, you know, the National League Championship? They're already looking past us where if we can go out there and you Darvish pitches like he can, I think we'll win game two. We possibly can win game three and then just go from there and see what's going on. And all of a sudden the Dodger fans will go, oh, my gosh, Padres are pretty good right now. Or why are we, why are we playing bad? So um, I still have confidence in the Padres and the guys. The key thing is just hitting your spots because I think if pitching was there, we would have won last night. Um, and you know, if we have pitching tonight, I think I gave us a good chance to win tonight. Who? I mean, obviously, it's it's going to take every single guy on the roster, but who who's the key guy? Who needs to come through in the series for the Padres to win? Starters, hmm. every every starting pitcher, because I think the bullpen is just fine. Um, it needs to be the starter to set the tone to go at least five innings with shutout ball or if maybe just give up one run, but they need to go not give a big run, not give up multiple runs. Um, they don't have to be perfect, but they need to go out there and the starter set the tone. The bullpen will completely follow. But I think if the starter goes out there and gives up two or three, then it's kind of like, Ugh. and that was the one thing that the Padres had all year. If the starter did really well, the Padres had a good chance of winning. But when the starter went out there and gave up four runs or five runs in a you know four or five innings, then it, all of a sudden it was really hard, and the Padres never recuperated. So really, it, it's the starters. The starters are the biggest key for the Padres. Heath, we appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for a couple of minutes. Good luck to your Padres. Thanks. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. There he is. Heath Bell. Ring the bell. Ring the bell is the podcast. Believe in Padres podcast. Look it up 
on uh, all podcast providers. Ring the bell. Podstock with Heath Bell. What do you think of Robbie Ray coming in? Hometown hero. Paul Seawald out after having a really good year. Yeah. And then Ray just gets freaking destroyed by Alvarez. I, I get it on some level. I, the, it's, I, I don't, I think it's one of those cases where a lot of people will be like, that's analytics told you to do that. Well, like not really like you don't, you have to take into consideration that the guy that's not, it's not a closer. It's not a relief pitcher. It's a totally different situation than usual. And I know, uh, you know, Jordan Alvarez kind of talked about seeing him warming up and being like, all right, I, I know what we're getting here and, uh, and jumping all over it. It was, I, I thought that that's over managing a little bit, maybe try to do a little, little bit too much. Uh, kind of guessing there. Coming up on Cofield and Company, follow up on Draymond Green. By the way, when is the Oakland PD going to do what KCPD did with Devontae Adams? Reno, you've been listening to the Battleborn Sports Hour on ESPN Reno. Check out the archives of all three hours, lvsportsnetwork.com.